<laughs> did, you, did you just mark that? You keep that shit in, you little shit. I don't. I don't. I want people to know how I feel about you. <laughs> God damn it. All right. So. So. Okay. <laughs> All right. Whoa. So. Here we are. <laughs> here we are. <laughs> Hopefully oh close to the end. No. <laughs> I mean. Do you even know what's going on? Yes. Okay. Okay, Slytherin. Why is this now being aimed at me? Your frustration with the men in the room is now being oh, yeah. aimed my direction. I'm sorry, it just like came out. It just came out. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So, Atlantic City Quakers, Charles Darrow. Yes. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Bad bitch. Bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if it's naughty to rule your list, take your shoulders, take your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be there. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Hello. Welcome to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. This is your weekly podcast about women. Oh, my gosh. That was so succinct. (laughs) Well done. That's all you need to know. Thank you, Deanna, for that wonderful description. You're welcome, Hannah, for that wonderful description. All right. (laughs) We talk about women. We do. Period. Yeah. I mean, really, that's it. That's all you need to know. Um, In a very uh, profane and um, excited way. Yeah. And I want to thank the person who just gave us our most recent review on iTunes. Oh, we got a new one? We got a new one. Please um, leave more of those. It makes us happy. And we obviously do look for them. And they help people find us. So. I'm punching the air victoriously. Yeah. Do it. Since podcasts are not a form where you can see things. Hey, guys. I'm just interrupting really quick with a content warning for anyone who has no interest in hearing about uh, video game characters having graphic sex, please check our show notes for um, times you can skip to for when our story actually starts. Uh, we It gets a little graphic, so I just wanted to interject really quick with that. And now on to our content. And um, you have something to share with me, right? I do. It's uh, <laughs> totally irreverent. Um, <clears throat> so one of the things that I've started doing recently, uh, so when I was a kid, uh, I was a huge fan of The Sims. Like The Sims was my, Sims and Roller Coaster Tycoon were my two oh, yeah. games like that made me a gamer. I think a lot of people can identify with that. Sure. Yep. But so I recently, when um, Alex pointed out to me that The Sims was on sale for $10, Sims 4, which implies to me that there's a new Sims going to come. Because Sims 4 came out in like 2014. Mm-hmm. So I think there's probably going to be a new Sims soon, which is why they put it on sale for so cheap. But I don't care because I've never played Sims 4, so it's new. Deal. So I bought it and I've been playing it obsessively. Uh, it's awesome. But I found this article on Kotaku written by Gita Jackson. And... <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, I'm no. I'm so sorry. We're, it, we're continuing with a trend of sk- being. Skip ahead if you have no desire to hear any of this. Um, but the title of this is, oh, no, my Sims won't stop having sex. <laughs> okay. In our in our show notes, we always link to the point where our lady uh, I- information starts. Yeah. So you, you have may... no interest in hearing about The Sims yeah. or mods on The Sims because The Sims is notorious for cheats and modifications. Like that's part of what makes the game so fun is that there's always been an online community to like create characters, homes, clothing, different modifications. They now have the uh, cheat codes for money and mm. shit on their official website because they encourage it. Oh. It's not really a secret, which, of course, it, it probably never was a secret if I was 11 years old playing the original Sims <laughs> and could figure and figured out what it was before the Internet was really a, a, a place where you could just Google immediately be like, what's the cheat code for blah, blah, because it's still Rosebud for a thousand simoleons or Motherload for like 50,000 or 100, I don't even know. I haven't used it yet on The Sims 4, which I'm very proud of. 
But anyway, they encourage it and have it on their website. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. So yes. they're like, we would like you. Like, if you want to cheat, that's part of the fun. Yeah. So there's this mod called Wicked Whims, which, oh, uh, no. which you can make Sims have sex. Which, of course, <laughs> Sims already can woohoo, which is the Sim version of sex. Woohoo? They woohoo. <laughs> no. And you can try for oh. baby. You can woohoo try for baby. You can woohoo. I, I can't even. Right. I can't. Right. <laughs> um. <laughs> So, but Wicked Whims adds sex. Like, they can have sex. So, they have autonomous sex. So, like, your Sims, if you leave them alone, if they're dirty, like, if their hygiene need goes below a certain level, they'll automatically take a shower. Okay, not sexy dirty. If their sleep level goes down to a certain level, they'll automatically go to sleep. Wicked Whims adds it so if they just want to have sex, they'll have sex. Okay. But, I mean, actual animated. (laughs) Shit. Different sex acts. The same woman wrote an article about how she create because you can make clubs in one of the Sims expansions, so you can like have a gardening club at your house or whatever. She made a sex club at her house. That doesn't sound sex club. No old people, (laughs) only famous people. So her Sim aged out of the her own club. (laughs) Oh no! But in the Wicked Whims mod, there's no um, like it's it's uh you can have a chance for a baby anytime. Like with Sims, you can woohoo or try for a baby, right? But with the sex, it can it's it's a fifty percent chance. So it's like people were coming over to her sex club and getting pregnant constantly. Anyway, oh, so this no. this one says, "Oh no, my Sims won't stop having sex," and I thought it was <laughs> hilariously written. So I want to I want to give Gita her due. Okay. okay. So, my Sim Miranda, a chef, came home from work at one a.m. Her husband Marvin went outside to greet her. Please, I whispered at my game of The Sims. Please don't have sex right here. My prayers <laughs> fell on deaf ears. Wicked Whims is a mod for The Sims that greatly expands the game's sex mechanics. <laughs> According to its creator, modder Turbo Driver, it offers animated sex, nudity interactions, exhibitionism interactions, relationship enhancements, and gameplay improvements. In particular, Turbo Driver's description of sex autonomy in an interview with Kotako deputy Patricia Hernandez piqued my interest in what she described the parameters for Sims' desire, how much they like each other, their location, their moods. The way I play The Sims is pretty chaste, but I was still curious about what could be what this could be like. When you scroll through oh the description God. of the mod's features, you can see it is absurdly robust. <laughs> <laughs> it adds new sex-related traits and aspiration rewards, including the option to be polyamorous or asexual. Even in The Sims, if I don't generally make homewreckers or even have my partners cheat on each other, I wanted to see how it all worked. I installed Wicked Whims and a few animation mods, made a couple, and started a new game. To get a feel for the mod, the first thing I did with it was make my Sims have sex by clicking the ground, selecting Wicked from the prompt wheel, <laughs> then picking Sex from the next menu. Oh my god! I thought they would go inside because usually Sims have sex in beds. They didn't. Instead, they had sex in the lawn of their new home. To make matters worse, some other Sims came by to welcome them to the neighborhood, <laughs> no. and so did a stray dog. <laughs> this was only the beginning. When you use the Wicked Whims mod, Sims with penises... You have to cut some of this. We'll ejaculate on their partners. No. If they're no. If oh their partners God. give them a blowjob, that means they'll end up with ejaculate on their face. Oh my God. Trigger <laughs> warning or something. I don't know. Content warning. Content when warning. When Miranda and Marvin finished, we can skip that. When Miranda and Marvin finished having sex, I thought she would go clean herself up like people tend to do <laughs> oh after having sex. <laughs> But having sex doesn't actually lower Sim's hygiene stat, and low hygiene is the only thing that will trigger autonomous showering. Miranda just walked around like that all day. With cum on her face? (laughs) (laughs) We were going to cut that. Maybe. Maybe. And also the next day when they had sex again. The, well, the one Wicked Whims feature I was interested in was autonomous sex. In an unmodded game, Sims don't generally have sex unless you tell them to. And I was interested in giving them their own desires. Well, with autonomous sex enabled, my Sims just wouldn't stop having sex. They oh. woke up and had sex. When friends came over, they had sex. When Miranda came home from work, Marvin would ask her for sex and they would have it right there on the porch. Oh my God. Playing The Sims with Wicked Whims feels like living in a surreal pornography. (laughs) Everyone's always horny and everyone's always down. Rather than being arousing, it's terrifying. (laughs) 
While the animations I downloaded were detailed, and The Sims 4 has car- a cartoony style that, lean- that leans a great deal of expressiveness and personality, it was just off enough that it wasn't very sexy. Oh, no. <laughs> Marvin's penis frequently clipped through Miranda's mouth. No, no, no. One animation called for The Sims having sex pressed up against a window because of where my window was placed, Marvin fell through the floor. (laughs) My Sims had sex for hours, sometimes staying up until five in the morning while they cycled through various animations. Oh my God. If their sessions were too close to the time that Miranda had to go to work, I couldn't make her take a shower. So she'd just go to work. (laughs) No. And it gave her a positive mood buff called cum slut. (laughs) Please delete. Delightful. We are going to have to put a fucking content warning on this. <laughs> I didn't think about that when I started reading it. I forgot how fucking oh, not no. safe for work this intro is. Oh, I couldn't damn. escape Miranda's and Miranda and Marvin's cycle of eating, sleeping, and having sex. When Miranda had a day off and Marvin went to work, I was relieved. I sent her to the bar to take a load off. Suddenly, I got an announcement on screen. Two other Sims were having sex in the bathroom upstairs. You get an announcement for this? What the fuck? I'm all for adding sex, even pornographic and unrealistic (laughs) sex to the Sims. As a simulator of human life, its depictions of sex and sexuality are lacking. It's understandable, and the game is rated E currently. It used to be rated teen, as we talked about. Yeah, we did. And this is where mods come in. Wicked Whims is just a way is just way, way too much sex. And the volume of sex I witnessed in a couple hours of gameplay only revealed how alien its depiction of sexuality felt. Not once did Marvin and Miranda fall asleep after orgasming or offer to clean each other up or giggle on the beds while they looked at funny tweets together. They didn't get turned <laughs> on by their partner's weird idiosyncrasies or Aww. habits. Sex didn't seem integrated into their romantic lives. And it felt more like mm. an activity that had nothing to do with having a bond with another person, even a tenuous bond. Like, we met at a bar and I'm drunk and you're cute. Sims would go up to other Sims, ask for sex, and then just begin having sex immediately (laughs) in public. There was one thing I liked, though. Wicked Whims gives everyone a naturalism skill, and the higher skill level determines how comfortable they are with being naked. Whenever a Sim is naked, they get a positive mood buff. So frequently after sex, they didn't put clothes back on. This meant after sex, they'd go downstairs and watch TV naked, eating cereal together. And that is something I can relate to. That's adorable. One of the things that made Sims revolutionary is that in the year 2000, when the game came out, Mm -hmm. Sims couldn't even have sex, right? They could just say like, we want a baby. And and then a bassinet would appear in a a, a cloud of flowers. Yeah. But you could have, there was never any any sort of hesitation or, or uh, question about whether or not you could have a romantic homosexual relationship in that game. It was just you could have that sort of re- interaction with anyone. Ah. Okay. In the year 2000, which yeah. is really revolutionary for video games. It doesn't seem like it now, but it yeah. wasn't even a weird thing. It's just like if your character wanted to flirt with a, a character of the same sex, then they could. Then they could. There were no restrictions. And you could get married, I think. That's cool. Yeah. Shit. Dude. Well, um. There's a lot actually, to unpack there. I don't honestly, know. though, this kind of leads in, I mean, in a roundabout <laughs> way. <laughs> really? It kind of does. Because, because, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about somebody who had a hand in game making. No way! Yes. Holy shit. I'm so sorry for how loud that was on the mic. <laughs> Are you a good witch? Or a bad bitch? Let us know by becoming a patron on, on our, our Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> oh, no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you. Also, when you become a patron, you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air. How exciting is that? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. So, um, I'm, I'm glad that you talked about The Sims, um, 
maybe not necessarily the the wicked uh whims whims part but the game making aspect or the game aspect is relevant to my person today and modifications to games which is game making yes actually absolutely in fact um why don't i start before i even like get into anything tell me what you know about the person who created monopoly if anything i know it was a woman okay well then never mind (laughs) (laughs) because i saw an article about it yes well then you're gonna fucking love this he sent me okay all right so ben you're gonna cut that (laughs) why (laughs) because you didn't because you already knew it was a lady i know but i wanted her to think that it was by a man because i know i should have well okay i've been drinking a little bit well I'm sorry, though, but if you open up on our podcast with tell me what you know about the person who did blah. That's so true. It's obvious it's a woman because you're not going to talk to me about a man. I know. I'm very, I don't, I didn't, I didn't actually read the article he sent me, though. Thank so. God. <laughs> I just know that, that there's an article. That makes my job so much easier. So um, my sources are randomly MarthaStewart.com. Don't ask me why. Wikipedia, Biography.com. Um, Mental Floss, and The Guardian. Shit. Yeah, lots of good stuff. So I'm going to start with this uh, nice hefty section from Mental Floss. Um, And it goes, in 1903, Elizabeth Maggie, (laughs) and I might be pronouncing this wrong. It's M-A-G-I-E. So it's one G instead of two, but I'm going to say Maggie because that makes the most sense. Maggie, Maggie, Maggie sounds right. Maggie sounds fine. Okay. Elizabeth Lizzie Maggie designed a board game to demonstrate the tragic effects of land grabbing and capitalism and capitalism in this game oligarchs enrich themselves at the expense of tenants the latter of whom only grow poorer as available land <laughs> decreases and the cost of rent increases anyone interested in traveling a non-trivial distance has to pony up for a railroad ticket anyone desiring Anyone desiring light and water had better open their wallet. And crossing the wrong landowner sends a player directly to jail. The poorer the proletarian player gets, the more he or she is squeezed. There is nowhere to go that doesn't demand a fee of some kind, and there is no respite. Yeah, Monopoly is a bullshit game. The game ends only when everyone is driven penniless into the ground, but for a single aristocrat who now owns everything. Lizzie Maggie named her grim reflection of life the Landlord's Game, but you probably know it better as Monopoly. All right. So conventional wisdom, I'm just going to say this really quick. Conventional wisdom says that a man named Charles Darrow invented Monopoly. And if you really? go, yes, if you go to, I think it's Hasbro's website, has a, like a long cutesy story about how Charles Darrow came up with this game on a whim and he was a wicked whim maybe a maybe it was a wicked whim um (laughs) he He I mean a little bit he he created this game out of thin air and he taught it to his son and he and his son created this this game and they put it on on an oil cloth they like you know I'm sorry they put it on a what they painted it out on an oil cloth and so that was the first Monopoly board, was was this handmade oilcloth game that Charles Darrow made in okay. 1932 or something like that. Okay. Um, but really it was created by a woman named Lizzie Maggie. Um, and I kind of want to talk a little bit about Lizzie Maggie as a person before I dive into her creating this game because she is just a super interesting person as a rule and more interesting than a lot of articles made her seem. So I had to do, I had to do a lot of digging to find this information about her. Really? Mm -hmm. I did. I mean, you did have a lot of sources. I had a lot of sources in part because so many, so many websites just kind of talk about her in relation to the landlord's game. And that's fine because she did create it and that became monopoly at some point. But she, um, she was the descendant of Scottish immigrants. Nice. She uh, was the daughter of, of James Maggie, 
who was a newspaper publisher and an abolitionist who accompanied, yeah, he accompanied Lincoln as he traveled around Illinois in the late 1850s debating politics with Stephen Douglas. And so she was kind of exposed to a lot of that very young. And she was also introduced to the economist Henry George, who plays a big part in the landlord's game. Um, and Henry George was a uh, an economist who believed in what was called the single tax system, which I'll get into a little bit later. So she was very much a proponent of his. And when she was grown-ish, she she attended a an, a convention of stenographers with her father. A convention work. of stenographers? Yeah. I don't know, like, what That's that is. That's a dated sentence. That's a thing. A convention of sto- stenographers, which women weren't really at the time, but... Wait, what? Yeah. But uh, when the Civil War came around... That seems like a very female profession, well, given what we know about the 20s. When the Civil War came around, it became a female profession. Hmm. So she went to this convention with her dad, um... Decided that that was a good way for her to go. She did that. She became a stenographer. And when the Civil War came came around, it took men out of the workforce and she... That's a common theme. You know, yeah. And women take profession. over those jobs. Um, but she was a very creative person, just mm. like generally. She was an actress. She was a poet. She was a writer. So stenography alone couldn't really keep her fulfilled. Um, and she dabbled apparently in engineering. And in 1893, she received a patent for a gadget that allowed paper to pass through typewriter rollers with more ease. What? (laughs) She developed a patent, or sorry, she received a patent for a gadget that allowed paper to pass through typewriter rollers with more ease. That's very important, I think. Uh, At the time, absolutely it was. Yeah. And it made her a standout. Because she was only 26, but also she was a woman developing these, like, inventions, you know, yeah. weird little inventions. And so, yeah, she was totally an individual thinker. And I get the feeling that she got kind of bored with her life. And that was partially why she ended up sort of dabbling in a lot of these things, like inventing stuff and yeah. engineering, creative, the creative, you know, arts. Yeah. Um, and she was also an actress and a poet, I think I already mentioned. So she um, bound her poems into a book called My Betrothed and printed 500 copies of it. Because, you know, that's what you do when you're a writer. And that was the most uh, the most copies she could afford. And she distributed them and sold them and whatnot. Right, right, right. Um, You know, had some fun poetry in there. That was a thing that she did. Uh, So she was also a feminist, which, as we know, was... Which? You know, yeah, not terribly popular at the time. (laughs) She couldn't really get like a ton of jobs that could keep her just creatively stimulated so she actually yeah she put out an ad in the papers um advertising her work ethic and her obviously just like her as a her as a worker and she claimed to be quote a rare and versatile dramatic ability okay a born entertainer like you gotta do Uh uh-huh a strong uh oh she had strong bohemian characteristics what does that mean (laughs) Uh, you know, it's just, I don't know. Uh, and she said, I can appreciate a good story at the same time um, that I am deeply and truly religious, but not pious. So whatever that means. Spiritual? Maybe. Sure. Yeah. So the ad received nationwide attention. And before long, everybody in the country knew that Lizzie Maggie was an outspoken feminist. And that attention helped her land a job as a reporter. So well, that's good. It was good. And it helped her actually buy a house and several acres of property. She was unmarried, but I don't get the sense that that really mattered to her, especially like being a outspoken feminist. Like that was not a thing she was super invested in. Right. Um, so she, she bought this house, several acres, acres of property, and she shared her house with a male actor who paid rent <laughs> randomly and one servant. And that was it. That was so like, she had a roommate and a servant. Uh-huh. Yep. She was intensely political. She taught classes about her political beliefs in the evenings after work. But she wasn't reaching as many people as she wanted to. 
Because who was she writing for? She was, I mean, she was writing. was she like freelance? I think she was a Quaker for one, which I think means that she was intensely liberal. And she was. At the time. At the time, yeah. yeah. And she was writing for people. If you remember, she was a Georgist. She believed in the single tax theory Mm -hmm. that we talked about earlier. And she was just like very invested in in a sort of, I won't say anti-capitalist, but she wanted limits on capitalism. Um, in a big way. Like all reasonable people do. <laughs> These days, yes. Um, no. All time. <laughs> yeah. So that Reasonable was... limits on capitalism. Come on. I know. God. And we had those for so long. We did. Oh, thank you, Reagan. Um, okay. So she wasn't reaching as many people as she wanted to reach. She needed a new interactive medium and you'll remember she was super creative she was somebody who wanted yeah she wanted to engage people and she was an engineer so there was one obvious outlet which was games and at the turn of the 20th century board games were becoming increasingly commonplace in middle class homes and in addition more and more inventors were discovering that games were not just like pastime but they were a way to sort of communicate ideals and you know for sure yeah and so lizzie was like all right i'm going to get started on my own game and she began speaking in public about this new concept of hers which she called the landlord's game she said it is a practical demonstration of the present system of land grabbing with all its usual outcomes and consequences it might well have been called the game of life. Un- Interesting. Uh-huh. Um, I was literally about to bring up life. <laughs> yes. Yeah. She said it. Uh, it might well have been called the game of life as it contains all the elements of, su- of success and failure in the real world. And the object of the game as the human race in general seems to have, i.e., the accumulation of wealth. No, but that's your priority. Yeah. If you're playing the game of life and that's how you're playing it, that's your priority. Maggie's Landlord's Game paid tribute to Henry George, which we've talked about a little bit, but he was a charismatic 19th century politician and economist who was a proponent of the, quote, land value tax, also known as the single tax. His main tenet was that individuals should own 100% of what they made or created, but that everything found in nature, particularly land, should belong to everyone. So this idea that, like, that people can just, you know, grab a city block and say, I'm going to build a building here, and now everything that happens on this piece of land belongs to me. He was like, that's not, that can't be a thing. Land is land. Nature is nature. And that's not something that can be owned, period. Okay. She knew that some people would find it hard to understand the logic behind the idea. And she thought that if of her the, game, uh huh, of the of the single tax idea, of mm. of George's idea, so she thought if the rent problem and the Georgia solution to it were put in the concrete form of a game, it might be easier to demonstrate. So she was actually she made the game and then she applied for a patent for it and she was granted the patent for it in 1904. And the landlord's game became one of the first board games to use a continuous path. Um, without clearly defined start and end spaces on its board. So it, you know how Monopoly, if you think it's of like, it, it's just like one big square and it just goes circle, around yeah. and around. Yeah. Well, she yeah, was, you're right. It's a square, but it, it's endless. Yeah. And she was one of the first people to employ that on a board. Um, another innovation in gameplay that sh- that is attributed to her is the concept of, quote, ownership of a place on a game board. Such mm. as, um, or such that something would happen to the second or later player to land on the same space without the first player's piece still being present. Right. Like, this is mine, so now you owe me money. Exactly. So her game featured play money and deeds and properties that could be bought and sold. Players borrowed money, either from the bank or from each other, and they had to pay taxes. And it featured a path that allowed players to circle the board in contrast to the linear path design used by many games at the time. Um, In one corner was the poorhouse and Uh. the public park, and across the board was the jail. (laughs) Uh, Another corner contained an image of the globe and an homage to Lizzie's political hero, the economist Henry George. 
Oh, okay. Um, so whose ideas about putting the burden of taxation on wealthy landowners inspired the game? Of course. Um, quote, labor upon Mother Earth produces wages was part of her rules. Oh. Also included on the board were three words that have endured for more than a century after Lizzie scrawled them there. Go to jail. Yes. Go to jail. Why does the Hasbro site have a different story? I'll tell you. Okay. Um, in just a bit. <laughs> so Lizzie drew nine rectangular spaces along the along the edges of the board between each sets of corners. Um, in the center of each nine space grouping was a railroad with spaces for rent or for sale. Um, absolute necessity rec- rectangles offered goods like bread and butter, which I find very interesting. Um, and then blah, blah, blah. Payers who ran out of money went to the poorhouse. Yay. That sounds. Say like that one more time. Players who ran out of money went to the poorhouse. Fun. Yeah. Super fun. Which so, is different than jail. Yes. But jail was also a part of her game. Right. Players who trespassed on land were sent to jail. Oh. Um, and then uh, there were the unfortunate individuals who had to linger until serving out their time or paying a fine. Um, and she said that the rallying and chafing of the others when one player finds himself an inmate of the jail and the expression of mock sympathy and condolence when one is obligated to betake himself of the poorhouse make a large part of the fun and merriment of the game. Oh, yeah. Fun. You know, super duper fun. Yeah. And after she created this, the game became very popular with left wing intellectuals. Shocker. And on college campuses. And that popularity spread through the next three decades. It eventually caught on with a community of other Quakers in Atlantic City who customized it with the names of local neighborhoods. And from there, uh, through a lot of different people and Wikipedia details the progression of this very well, like where it went from, you know, the Quakers in Atlantic City to the guy who claims to have invented Monopoly, like you know, all the people who who played it until then. Right. Um, and I'm not going to go through that. But basically, through that gameplay, it found its way to Charles Darrow. And he got this game and thought it was really fucking cool. Of course he did. Pretty much. He was like, hey, can yeah. I make money on this? Exactly. He was not doing Which is super well financially. Super ironic. Yes. And he knew it came from Lizzie Maggie because he'd been told and he had been taught how to play this game by various friends who were like, hey, our friend, our Quaker friend made this game. Here she Super is. Super fun. Really frustrating. But yeah. But fun. But you're like, you're going to love it. And so he ended up asking one of his, one of the friends who taught him to write down the, the rules. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. Is the ultimate irony of Monopoly that a capitalist asshole stole someone else's game and profited off of it? No, the ultimate irony of Monopoly is that some capitalist asshole profited off of a game that was ultimately anti-capitalist. It was it was a, a satirical sort of like uh, commentary on capitalism, and he made the money. Oh yes. my god! Yes, you got it. You got there. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Thank God you didn't read it, um, because I wouldn't be having these reactions now. No, yeah, he he asked some friends who who the friends who taught him how to play. He was like, "Hey, could you guys maybe like write some of this stuff down for me?" Fuck you. And they were like, "Well, that's weird. We've never been asked to write down the rules before, but sure, we'll write them down for you." And they wrote down the rules of Monopoly for him, and he uh, turned he basically so it's not a lie that he made a game board on oil cloth. That's not a lie. It's just that he didn't create the game board. He was making, he was remaking it from memory based on what his friends had taught him. Oh my God. And then, yeah, no, it's so, it's so awful. And he basically took that game and he went to Parker Brothers and was like, hey guys, I have this game. Oh my God. And they were like, yeah, we want to buy that shit from you. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. Dude. Well, what's crazy is they still, to this and day, they, clearly they, they play know, the shit down. They know the story. Yes, clearly. they do. It's they do. public knowledge. They bought out the patent from Lizzie at the time. So they've uh, known the whole time. Um, and yeah. I think that's enough to bury the history. Clearly. Oh, yeah. To this day, they, they try. They very much try. 
So um, he obviously, the game has sold millions of copies worldwide. He received royalties throughout his life. Jesus Christ. Lizzie uh, was, quote, paid by Parker Brothers 2. When the game started to take off in the mid-1930s, the company bought up the rights to other related games to preserve its territory. Mm, Sure. And um, uh, for the patent to the landlord's game and two other game ideas, Lizzie reportedly received $500 and zero royalties. Gross. And she didn't quite understand why she was being paid or why she was being contacted by Parker Brothers. She thought that they were in touch with her because they wanted to publish her game. That's what she thought. Oh, my God. So at first, she didn't suspect the true motives. Um, When a prototype of the Parker Brothers version of the Landlord's Game arrived at her home in Arlington, she was delighted. In a letter to Foster Parker. Did they still call it the Landlord's Game at the time? No. It was Monopoly. Um, But it was a version, and she was like, well, they bought out my patent, so, like, this is my game. You know? This is my game. And she wrote a letter to them, and she was like, "Uh, there was a song in my heart the day the game arrived. She wrote, someday, I hope you will publish other games of mine, but I don't think any one of them will be as much trouble to you or as important to me as this one. And I'm sure I wouldn't make so much a fuss over them. But she felt very strongly about it. She felt so strongly about it. God damn it. And eventually, the truth dawned on her. She realized that she was not going to be given credit for this game and that it was not hers anymore. And she became publicly angry. In January of 1936, she gave interviews to the Washington Post and the Washington Evening Star. Right. In a picture accompanying the Evening Star piece, she held up both game boards, so the Landlord's Game and Monopoly, um, just to kind of show the differences, but mainly the similarities. Um, Yeah, to be like, this is my game. Yeah, this is my game. Yeah. Hi, I made this. Uh, And it didn't do a lot, unfortunately, because obviously obviously Parker Brothers was more interested in the idea of a guy who, like, randomly thought of this game and it was brilliant and... Instead of some anti-capitalist sort of commentary, a woman who was like, this is fucked. Uh, Let's show a game about how fucked this is. Not just a woman, but an unmarried woman. Uh A feminist woman. Oh, no. Oh, no. Which? Yeah. So much to Lizzie's dismay, the other two games that she invented for Parker Brothers... Kingsmen and Bargain Day received little publicity and great. faded into board game awesome. obscurity. Just great. Great. Yeah. That's just great. Yeah. She mm. died in 1948, um, and her obituary and headstone made no mention of her game in- invention. Fuck! <laughs> I know. And this, this makes me so sad. One of her last jobs was at the U.S. Office of Education, where her colleagues knew her only as the elderly typist who talked about inventing games. How sad is that? Doesn't that break your heart a little bit? Yes. Like she just talked about all these games she invented, but nobody actually believed her or knew what they were what she was talking about. Okay. This game this story has a little bit of redemption though. Okay. 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 So Please, I need it. Um in 1973, Ralph Ansbach, Ansbach um, a left-wing academic who was under legal attack from Parker Brothers over his own creation of an anti-monopoly game, uh, learned her story as he was researching his own case because he was being sued and he was like, well, fuck, I need to figure out like how to you know, argue my case. And he found her. He found her own story. Uh-huh. Um, and the case lasted, lasted a decade, but in the end, he prevailed and back cre- Ansbach, Ansbach, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Great. He prevailed in the process, putting Maggie's vital role in the game's history beyond dispute and building up an extraordinary archive of material from which um, the backbone of this account was, you know, created. Hasbro, the company of which Parker Brothers is now a subsidiary, still downplays Maggie's status. Why, though? 
because it doesn't fit their fucking narrative. Yeah, but isn't the other dude dead now, too? Like, yes. What's the point? Why because you... the other dude is a white dude. Over the years, the carefully worded corporate retellings have been most illuminating in what they don't mention. And I think this comes from the Guardian article. Mm. Um, Lizzie Maggie, the Quakers, the dozens, if not hundreds of thousands of early players. Ralph Ansbach and Ansbach, Ansbach. And the anti-monopoly litigation, perhaps the care and keeping of secrets as well as truths, can define us. Damn. I know. That is more complicated than I thought it was going to be. I, I'm sorry. Why are you apologizing? I don't know. I think that's great. It was just like, it is kind of crazy that like this guy can be like, oh, dude, this game is super cool and I like it. Well, that's and the also thing I is see that some... she made it for fun. She made and it as a statement to teach people. Well, yeah, but like, but she didn't make it for profit. And mm-hmm. then this guy saw people playing it and goes, "I could sell this for profit." Yeah, I'm on profit of it. I'm gonna be the the one credited with this uh, game. And he was, despite her fucking patent. Yeah, like which she took out to prevent shit like this. It's fucking absurd. And when they bought her patent, she thought because she was naive and she didn't know any better. That they were buying her game from her. Yes. That's what she thought. Yeah. I mean, like, companies are manipulative. They get what they want. And they know how to word shit so that you don't know what they're asking for. That's insane. And if you if you say, hey, I want to buy your patent and here's 500 bucks, which at the time I'm sure is a lot more. But, like, if you're like, this is what I want. Yeah, but if somebody goes, oh, hey, here's your idea. Like, for your show... Right. And they go, we have an idea that's similar. Can we buy out your idea for a million dollars? You'd be like, great. But then they make fucking two hundred billion dollars off of it. But you got one million. Well, that's nothing. She clearly thought they were publishing her game as hers. Yes. And they weren't. And they were not. Clearly. She never got a royalty from it. Nope. Charles Darrow got royalties for the rest of his life. Anyone with the last name Maggie, I apologize if you're listening. Magi. 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 Whatever. Magi. You guys, you got fucked. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. Um, hey, that's... You said that was going to be lighthearted. I... Because it's about games. <sighs> Hannah, fuck you. Sorry. <laughs> I'm really sorry. <laughs> you misled me, bitch. I'm really good at that. I'm also a Slytherin. Today... Today, the day the episode drops is... March 6th. Awesome. Yes. And I looked up... If there was a Heritage Month, and it's just Women's History Month, so... Which is all our podcast is. Yeah, so I'm just, you know, I went with who I wanted to go with. Um, all right. I, uh, I have a lot of things here. I may, I may decide in the moment to cut some, but 1799, Napoleon Bonaparte captures uh, the city of Jaffa, Palestine, after a five-day siege, and defeats the Ottoman Empire. Did he? You know, that's what this says. Okay. All right. Uh, Not on his own, obviously. Well, no. He led a lot of people into it. You know, Napoleon was... Josephine, I'm coming home. Do not wash. He was a good orator, yeah. Was he? Uh, Clearly. I just just know he wrote letters to his uh, wife. (laughs) He was six weeks out from coming home. He says, Josephine, I'm coming home. Do not wash. (laughs) Because he was a freak. Yes, he was. (laughs) He liked... Stanky, stanky. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, <laughs> 1831. I just enjoyed this. Edgar Allan Poe was removed from West Point Military Academy. I didn't know that. I have no other context for this at all. I I've just seen it. Yeah, crazy. West Point, I mean. Um, 1835, Battle of the Alamo. <gasps> yeah. After 13 days of fighting... 1,500 to 3,000 Mexican soldiers overwhelmed the Texan defenders, killing 182 to 257 Texans, including William Travis, Jim Bowie, and Davy Crockett. Davy Crockett. And Santa Ana? No, Santa Ana was the guy leading them. He's the Mexican leader. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I know nothing. I'm probably wrong. (laughs) It was a thing I was obsessed with when I was 10, so oh. this is 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I've been to the Fair Alamo enough. multiple times. It's cool. The historians who listen to this podcast are probably, are probably like, screaming. oh my God. 
You guys are so stupid. Um, I thought this was interesting. 1857, the Dred Scott decision was made by the U.S. Supreme Court. Ooh, yes. <laughs> okay. It, interesting in a fucked up way. Well, duh. Uh, they ruled that Africans cannot be U.S. citizens. Yay. <clears throat> Not. So, Dred Scott was Why? born- Why? Because they didn't choose to come over here? They were taken? <laughs> Right? Like, that's what the thing that's so fucked up. They're not people. They're property. So Fun. I, Thank you very much, United States history. E, yeah. It's it's batshit. So but, I looked it up a little bit. But basically, he obviously um, was he was born into slavery. Um, he met and married a fellow slave in 1836. Um, and then he basically was like, I want to buy my freedom. In 1843, but like, nope, you're not an American. The wife of his of his owner said no. So he filed a case in the local St. Louis court. Yep. Um, which was tried in 1847 and then retried in 1850. And the court ruled that he should be freed. He and his family should be freed due to living in states um, where slavery was illegal because he had like, uh, you know, bought his freedom, I guess, a little while earlier. Right. The owner appealed. And that was the ruling of the state of the Supreme Court was Fun. that Africans couldn't be citizens. And so, you know, sweet. They weren't allowed to have their freedom. Real chill. Real chill. However, US government. by this stage, Scott was the most famous slave in America. And they Former were f- slave. Well, finally, they were freed three months after the court ruling. Jesus. So I know. I, I just thought that was very interesting. 1906, Nora Blatch is the first woman elected to the American Society of Civil Engineers. Cool. Yeah. 1964, boxing legend Cassius Clay. AKA Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali joins the Nation of Islam and changes, changes his name to Muhammad Ali, calling his former title a slave name. Um, ooh, 2017, Trump signs executive order barring travelers from six mostly Muslim countries for 90 days, but leaves out Iraq. I have nothing to say. Nope. Um, and this one is my last one. Are you ending on a shitty note? Yeah. How dare you? I'm very sorry. 2018, Forbes names Amazon founder Jeff Bezos the world's richest person at $112 billion. Dollars. <laughs> What's his name? Bezos. I don't fucking care. He's Bezos to me. Bezos. Bezos. Fuck him. So someone asked Bill Gates, what's the most annoying myth about you? And he says, well, I wouldn't say there's anything irritating. People are very nice to me. A myth might be that I'm the most generous philanthropist of all time, which in a pure economic sense, you know, throughout my life, I'll give away $100 billion. But somebody who chooses to live in Africa and work in a hospital, give money so they're giving up their vacation or something they need, you know, I've not had to sacrifice. You know, I have my plane and I can get a hamburger when I want a hamburger. So I haven't sacrificed my time or my economic well-being the same way that a lot of unnamed amazing people do. They're the world's best philanthropists. All right, Bill Gates. So he's like, I know I give a lot of money away, but it doesn't, it's not a sacrifice to me because I have a lot of money to give. Well, in time, he's a lot. This is the thing that people don't understand about philanthropy. Time is, is money. Like, time is fucking money. And when you give your entire life to a cause, you're giving all of your potential, quote, wealth. You know, anything that like, any time you have to build a business or earn all that money that Bill Gates has. And does on a daily basis. Right. Like, you're giving all of that up in order to, you know, do your philanthropy. Bill Gates is way cooler than Jeff Bezos, who pays no taxes. Yeah. If you were any, if you had any confusion about Amazon, they paid zero taxes in 2018. And how, how we need to close those loopholes. I'm sorry. Businesses should pay taxes. This is why nobody wanted fucking Amazon in Queens, because they don't pay their goddamn taxes. Well, this has been a problem. And they problem. don't pay their workers. This has been a problem since this is Reagan. A problem. Reagan deregulated all of this shit, and now we have a lot of issues where these billion-dollar tax... Job uh, These billion-dollar... Job blah, creators. Blah, blah, blah. Job creators. They're just sitting on all their money like dragons hoarding gold, and they don't pay their workers. They don't give them health insurance. Um, and also, they figure out loopholes so they don't have to pay their fair share in uh, the, the, the well-being and uh, economy of a country. Yay. Just because you make a ton of money doesn't make you a goddamn job creator. 
fucking pay your taxes pay for roads and basic necessities of of a community that you happen to be in and do your part just saying hey um why don't you tell me what you're excited about so (laughs) i'm excited because i recently it's gonna be very selfish do it i recently had a very productive photo shoot for my new headshots and other photos of me uh, I am 30. I am confident. I'm 30, flirty, and thriving. And uh, I did a photo shoot that had a lot of really fun fashion shots and a lot of fun headshots. And uh, you saw them. I did. I feel very happy. They were gorgeous. I feel very happy about them. You should. And I'm very excited um, to show them to the world and to have new shots for my agent to oh, use yeah. to promote me as an actor. <laughs> yes this is good these are good things yeah uh yeah that's it's simple amazing. it's quick that's it I love i'm it. very excited i i just had it done and um i'm very happy love it all right guys that is our episode thank you very much for listening you can find us on all sorts of social media platforms listen to our outro if you want to know our handle it's obviously podcast um, please leave us a review because we love reviews. They're very, very nice. We will love you forever if you we give us a review. We will love you forever and we might shout you out. Who knows? Um, also, we have lots of um, patrons now who we love. So please join them. Please join our patron family. And uh, also, at this point, we have some cool pins hopefully coming on more merch you know the website available for purchase so if they're not up yet keep an eye out and um yeah that's our show so thanks so much for listening peace out witches bye 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 listening to good witches bad bitches thank you so much for listening we really appreciate it good witches bad bitches is hosted by deanna greif me you and you (laughs) hannah ferguson and we're produced by benjamin garst um you can find us on itunes stitcher spotify google play google play pretty much anywhere you listen to your podcasts you can find us there we're also on social media you can find us on instagram and twitter and facebook gwbb podcast you can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com we love to receive emails if you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air uh, shoot it over to us we would love to read it if you want to help keep us running you can find us on patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. <laughs> become a patron and help us you know pay for our hosting yeah patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content and it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast and it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out if you like it you can be a part of it also to help us out you can rate review and subscribe all of the all of those things are extremely helpful for us they help other listeners find us yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. <laughs> our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moon Bounce. Moon Bounce.